world is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, we're just excited about what God is doing. And I don't know how you could be alive from what I know about human history and especially our current situation. I don't know that anyone could be alive with more opportunity in life and ministry than we have at this moment. It's almost like the whole country and the whole world has been put in the shape where our message is the most needed thing there is on earth. And it's like the Lord has appointed the whole world so that what we're speaking as we speak the truth in love will be the most vital thing, the most necessary thing that ever comes to people. Let's pray. Get started. Thank you for joining with us today. If you've got a friend that normally is with us and isn't with us, I think this would be a good time to text him and say, this is one you don't want to miss. All right? Good. While we're getting prepared, let's, let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and mercy. And we pray that by your Spirit, you'll open our understanding. Help us to see clearly what you have prepared for us, not only to see, but to do. And we'll give you glory for it. In Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to have your New Testament open to the book of Colossians chapter 3, if you would please. Just keep it there. My friends at the Capital Connection have been after me to come and preach in March. They're not going to be able to have their meeting in a way they've normally had it from representatives from all over the country. But they're trying to hone their message. In other words, what what is our message today? Uh, I wrote a few little words down here. We're having a First Amendment conference in our church. I want you to write this date down. A First Amendment conference uh, this April 11th, 12th, and 13th. This is a meeting you need to try to be a part of. April 11th, 12th, and 13th. We've got a great host of, of people who are excited about it, but... We have wonderful people who will be leading it where this is their major thing. And uh, I want to read this. This is just a rough draft of an introductory paragraph. No doubt that Christianity in America has benefited from the Judeo-Christian roots of our nation. But now we must thrive, and I emphasize the word thrive, we must thrive without the support of our national politicians because they're bent on being an adversary to our message. So I gave a message not long ago to our church just on a Wednesday evening. I think it's online. Ryan would tell me, righteous in Rome, living righteously in Rome I mean, if everything around you is against your message, you can still live righteously even if you're living in Rome. Now, I took this from the book of Romans, most of it from chapter 1, uh, with a little historical background about the Apostle Paul and what he faced. And uh, I think what J. Vernon McGee said years ago about uh, Roman emperors, uh, about at least nine of them, out of the first 11 were either bisexual or homosexual. But yet they thrived and it was the best time ever in the history of the New Testament church. So if you'd have thought, well, we've got a change in political leadership. Now we're going to have such adversarial relationship with those in power. 
uh, we won't be able to promote things. But really, it's when that happens that we should be thriving and our message should be at the height. So I said, uh, we've been blessed by a government sympathetic to freedom of faith shared by uh, constitutional freedoms guaranteed by the First Amendment. We have even shared moral values, but these are being systematically dismantled. Our church must move forward without these things. How do we do it? How do we do it? How are we strengthening the things which remain? The email I sent out to you has the title about the revival of the home and family. The revival of the home and family. If you're going to strengthen your church, I think a, a, a strategy, uh, Peter Masters said to me one time, Americans want to have a strategy first, but a strategy must follow a real passion and burden. I think he's right. But if you have a strategy out of the passion that you have, the, the sense of desperation you think we're in, in in our country, you're going to raise your head up someday, and I think sooner than later, and see that many churches have given up. Many pastors have given up. Something is going on in the minds of your flock. And I see it here. There are good people, good citizens who have dropped out of church for fear, for COVID-19, for whatever. And uh, beyond that, there are good people who have not dropped out. They're coming back, but yet they don't have the same zeal and passion they once had. And we're leading them. Where are you leading them? How are we leading them? What are we leading them to do? So I think I'm convinced really that the way to strengthen our churches uh, being strong in the Lord is to strengthen our families and the family structure. All of us, uh, all of us feel as Adrian Rogers felt one time. Adrian Rogers said to me, he was a, a dear friend of mine way back to my days in the Southern Baptist Convention. He and I determined we'd try to stay in touch and be friends until one of us died. And of course, he's with the Lord. But he said he had no greater concern than this, that people he had in his church who grew up in the church, who were involved in the programs of the church, who enlisted in the Sunday school, all of this, would reach adulthood, leave high school, and become part of that generation, up to 80% of which that generation drops out of church and stops following the Lord. So while we're looking at that and we're thinking, why does this happen? Why does a young person who's been here engaged in all of this, why does a young person who is uh, involved in it, in, in everything we're doing, and then you look at them and you watch them and follow them through to adulthood. They get to be adults and they no longer are actively engaged in the Lord's work. When, it, when If we're going to really have men and women who become the generation that will take over, then they need to know that if they're not serving God, the local assembly, who is? You know? So... We must work on the family with the idea that it's not just children we're ministering to or young people we're ministering to, but we're ministering to the entire family for all of life. Meaning, meaning that uh, a 15, 14, 15, 16-year-old girl or boy needs to realize they're becoming responsible so that they can lead a family and lead a, a church and take their rightful place in God's work. It's expected. I know the first time I ever went to Israel, my wife and I have traveled there 16 different times. We'd like to go again. Maybe some of you men would like to go. You could talk me into it. But um, we'd like to go again. But the first time I ever went, I was fascinated with so many things, of course. 
But one thing in particular, we traveled down to the Dead Sea and went to Masada. And in uh, on Masada, there's a plateau there where the Jews escaped from Rome and settled in for a period of time and actually, in a sense, held off all of Rome. And finally, on this plateau and rock fortress, uh, they, they lived. A certain number of them lived. And they could not be conquered. Eventually, uh, the Romans encamped all around Masada. If you've been there, you know this. And they started building a ramp up. And initially, uh, the people on top of Masada could defeat the people trying to build the ramp because um, they were picking off the approaching army on the ramp. But then the Romans started using Jewish slaves to build it. And they could no longer be treated the same way that the Jews on top had treated uh, the Romans. And eventually they knew that they were going to get to the top of Asada and the Roman army would march right up. And they did some amazing things. You can read about how they drew lots and killed themselves and all that type of thing. Well, this is historically a, an example. So about Masada being the last to fall and the last of the Jews to fall in, in, in that particular time period when Jerusalem was overthrown. But when I was there this day, the young troops for the uh, Jewish recruits in the Israeli army, every young person, men and women, have to serve. It's, it's a duty that they serve when they have their 18th birthday. And so we watched a fascinating thing that day. They came running up Masada. And, you know, you and I would have a hard time walking up it. But they, they'd been trained, of course, and they came to the top. And they lined out. We were called to stand to the side. They lined all across the top of Masada. One of the most amazing things you ever saw. And uh, they held their rifles above their heads in this initiation. And they shouted, Masada shall never fall again. It made chills come all over you. And, and of course, the guides explained to us that what they were saying is, this is a generation that's not going to surrender. This is the generation that's going to hold the ground and we're not going to give in. Well, we need to do something in our homes and families for our young people to know in the cause of Christ, the propagation of the gospel, and in our stand for the word of God, as they become adults, they don't just become adults. It's their turn to shout, uh, we're not going to surrender. As those young Israelis shouted, Masada shall never fall again. Masada being uh, a metaphor for all of Israel and the Jewish nation. Since they were given a rebirth in 1948, they said, we're not going to surrender. We're going to fight till death to do it. Well, something like that, something to call our families and young families and young children to the Lord's army, to be the Christian soldiers of the cross, needs to happen. And uh, so we don't just need to be treading water because that's what we're doing in so many places. We're just holding, holding time and treading water and, and uh, you know, occupying space. But there's more to do than that. God has called us to be aggressively contending for the faith. Our faith was once delivered. And, and Jude wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, if we're going to be able to give this common salvation, if we're going to have the message to give, then every generation must contend for the faith. And so even though it's once delivered our faith, it must be contended for in every generation. So you and your people, your families, need to find their place in contending for the faith. So that's what I'm trying to do, to see the revival 
of the home and family. And that's what this, this particular session is going to be about. So how did God construct the family? Uh, of course, the Lord established the family and he created not only the foundation, but the function of the family. It has never changed. The foundation and function of the family, it's never changed. And so we are back to the beginnings. It's a revolution back to God, what God says. Now here's what's fascinating to me. When we get back to principles like first mention in the Bible and other principles, and we find where God instituted what He instituted. And of course, we know the Lord created the family and He created government. He's protecting us from ourselves. And um, He created the church. The Lord Jesus said, Upon this rock, I will build my church, not your church. Not, you're not going to build mine and I'm not going to build yours. He said, I will build my church. But in those foundation words or places, he also incorporated all we need to do battle for those things. Uh, Paul said when he was pressed out of measure and thought, there's no way out, I'm going to die. And he wrote the most personal thing he'd ever written on the inspiration of the Spirit of God in 2 Corinthians. He said that God brought him to simplicity and godly sincerity. And I really believe, friends, that that's what God is doing right now with the crisis we're in in the world is He's bringing us to simplicity, singleness, the word means, and to godly sincerity. Read it for yourself in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the testimony of His conscience and simplicity and godly sincerity. Well, here is the miraculous thing. When you discover where God is to the home, you find all the principles we need to do battle for the battles that are raging against the home. In the principles and, and the word that you find in, when God created government, you find authority and submission to authority and all the complementing things through the Word of God that allow us to do battle with all the things that are waging against that. When you find the foundation and function of the New Testament church, when the Lord Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then you're going to find in that and with the complementing verses in the pastoral epistles and, and uh, the Christian church epistles and the Hebrew Christian church epistles in the, in the New Testament, you're going to find all that's necessary for you to do battle concerning the church and what the church needs to stand for and deal with and all the things that will try to substitute themselves for home, government, or church. So it's, it's back to that. And today I just want to talk to you about the revival or the coming back to what God designed as the foundation and function of the family. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches us. And uh, of course in Genesis chapter 1, he created the male and female. And, and you want to write down also in Matthew chapter 19, uh, the Lord Jesus said again when he, when he dealt with Matthew chapter 19, he confirmed the creation account. I think that's very important. Uh, when we had Dr. Whiteside with you, he said something to us that I may have just gone right over your head, but many of the most noted scientists now in America are denying uh, evolution and are coming to the conclusion that there's one mother and one father of the human race. Uh, what we actually discovered in this uh, genome project, this project to, to uh, discover the, the, the codes in the human body uh, is that those scientists are coming to the point where they believe that we all started with one man and one woman. And the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 1, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee 
and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him. And by the way, there's three warnings Jesus gave us about leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, and the leaven of Herod. And you ought to study that because the Pharisees are the hypocrites and the Sadducees are the liberals or deniers of truth and the, and the, the Herodians, the Herodian family controlled that part of the world in the first century. Uh, that's worldliness. And he warned and told us to beware of thinking that, thinking that if we allowed the, the um, leaven of Herodians or the leaven of Herod, he called it, to enter into our thinking, we would get the idea that if we were in good with the government, in this a lesson to learn, if we were depending on the government, if we were depending on it to do the work God gave his church to do, we're going to fail. Now, you know, we're reeling and rebounding from that now because we all thought in our former president that we had such a friend and he was a friend, anti-abortion and things friendly with the church, a professing Christian, this kind of thing. But God didn't assign the government to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So anyway, that's another day we should talk about those leavens that the Lord warned against. But Jesus said, when the Pharisees came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause. Now notice the answer. And he answered, that's the Lord Jesus, and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning, so confirming what Christ said about creation in the creation account, that it was truthful, he that, that made them at the beginning made them male and female. And said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. So there Christ gives this bold affirmation that what God tells us in the book of Genesis is absolutely true. Now, it's time we go back to the beginnings of the family and find what God says about it. So when you believe what God says about it, then what do you do? What do you do with the LGBT movement? What do you do? You know, it's become, it's become so interesting for people to talk about uh, perversion as, as something that should be bragged about. I remember reading Robert Bork's book on slouching toward Gomorrah and he said we don't know where this is taking us but now sex has been changed to gender maybe you can find an old copy of that book you know Bork was brought before the Senate uh, to become a Supreme Court justice he's now with the Lord which is better than serving in the Supreme Court but uh, Bork said now we no longer say uh, we, have, we have the culture no longer saying it's a man or a woman. It can be a man or a woman, or it can be a lesbian, or it can, it can be a homosexual, or you can be um, a, a bisexual person. And now the transgendered person, you're transing, you're moving from one gender to another, and the thing becomes entirely uh, subjective. You can choose your gender. Do you know we've got states already in the United States who allow parents to look at their babies that are born and the parent decides, not the medical authority, the parent decides what gender that child's going to be. Can you imagine that? And sometimes they're even giving periods of time for you to register that so you could choose their gender long after they're born. Oh, God help us. Then we move to the next stage in it. We move to the next stage in it. We have little boys and little girls in school in public education uh, funded by the federal government, you couldn't exist without the federal funding, who decide they're a different gender and they're actually giving them hormone injections before they enter into puberty 
and block hormone blockers so, so the girls don't develop with the, the female things and the boys develop with things that aren't boy things. And the muscle texture and density that a boy will get during that time has been blocked and he will never recover from that his entire life. Think of what kind of man he's going to be if he wants to ever be a man again. And so we're living in such an age of confusion. Where is the answer for that? You have it. You have it. Preach it. Teach it. Preach it. Bring people back to what God designed. This is so important. Oh, may God in heaven help us. They're not telling the truth about anything. Do you know, I wrote this note for you today. 45 people every day in America, 45 people a day die from AIDS. Think of it. Sexually transmitted diseases come to 20 million new people. 20 new million new people every year. And uh, it's so confusing. There are 37,000 new cases of AIDS each year in America. And I'm saying this in a, an audience of adults, and uh, you have to be careful about the way you talk about this, but the most common cause is coming in oral and anus sex. So that means in the homosexual community, in the way they practice sex, sodomy has to have, be involved in anal and oral sex. What a world we're living in. No wonder the suicide rate has gone to the point where for every 100 women, there's 450 men. Every 12 seconds in the land of the free and the home of the brave, the greatest place on earth you could ever want to live, every 12 seconds in America, someone is killing themselves. I'm not talking about people who are tempting. The people who succeed in suicide, every 12 seconds, every hour in America, that's 24 hours in a day, every hour in America, a veteran, a man or woman who's a veteran, takes his or her life. Oh, 83% of the cases of this AIDS and HIV epidemic, 83% of it is between 13 and 24-year-old men. While you and I are in the ministry, this generation is destroying themselves. Now, where, where is the answer? How do we preach about it? How do we deal with it? When God gave us his word, he gave us the answers. I just want you to think about this. I'm going to repeat it. You're going to think, well, he said that before. I'm going to say it. I may say it eight or ten times. Sorry. Everywhere you find God doing something like starting creation, home, family, government, church, built in that and the record of it in God's Word, He built in the answers we need when we are combated with things that are trying to destroy it. So if you're dealing with what God says about the family, if you're dealing with the perversion of the family, look, we've got, we've got millions of recruiters today, millions of recruiters today, um, recruiting people to perverted lifestyles. Perverted mean less than what God designed it to be. How do we do battle? How do we do battle with the Word of God, the truth? You've got, you've got the Word, you've got the truth, but we must learn how to promote it and how to preach it and speak the truth in love. I've just finished a series of messages 
uh, to our people on the home and family, on the revival of the home and family. And so I gave one message from the Psalms, and then I gave six messages from the third chapter of Colossians. Uh, you can get those messages. I imagine they're online. Uh, you could download them, or you can order a CD or an MP3 or whatever, or a video. But the first message was entitled, Seek Those Things Which Are Above. Now, this is not going to sound like family messages to you, but I, I challenge you to read the third chapter of Colossians and understand that this is written to Christian people. And what God is doing in laying the foundation here. Then he talks about the children of disobedience in verses 5 through 11. Then he deals with even as Christ forgave you. That's the basis on which we forgive other people. And then do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. What are you doing and for whom are you doing it? You say, I am to do certain things as a wife, certain things as a husband. And you, and you made a folly out of the thing that you do it for him. But a Christian does it for Christ. So you do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then plainly God says, there's a word for wives. There's a word for husbands. There's a word for children. There's a word for fathers in chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. And then God says, if you implement all these things, they will enable you to receive the reward of the inheritance. What is the reward of the inheritance? God has something for you. And you cannot have it unless you obey Him. I gave a cross-reference from Peter's epistles on that particular verse. And I hope you'll get it yourself. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 4, that we, we're coming to an inheritance that's incorruptible, it is undefiled, it fadeth not away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Your people deserve to hear that they can have this inheritance. People talk all the time about what I'm going to leave my family. I remember my father, who was nearly penniless. He was a gambler. I loved him. I love him now. I love his memory. And I'll see him in heaven because he made a profession of faith about a year before he died. And I'm so thankful for it. I remember when he took me to tell me. I was the oldest of four children. And he took me on a ride by, my, by myself with him. And he told me about how he, his life had been given to Christ. And his words to me were, I've wasted my entire life. Don't make the same mistake with your life I've made with mine. And I've never forgotten those. I was 12 years old. I've never forgotten what he said, that admonition that he gave me. Your people deserve to know from God's word how they can receive the inheritance that God has for them. They need to know what they can leave their family. My father was going to leave. He was going to leave. Finally, he had an old 1956 Oldsmobile. He was going to leave it. He said, I'm going to leave this car to you. He was in the hospital, and somebody stole it while he was in the hospital. And that actually happened. And uh, I had one thing for my father. I had a wedding band it's like the one I wear. But I had it in a jewelry box in my home and somebody broke into our house and stole the wedding band that my father left me. That's all I had. But, you know, he left me some things. He left me that admonition. Don't make the same mistake with your life I've made with mine. He left me the, the exhortation, I've wasted my entire life. He even actually said, I've given it all to the devil. Think of that. He just made a profession of faith. My mother said to me, they were divorced at the time. My mother said, your daddy's got religion. He may want to talk to you about it. And uh, so he took me with him all day on a certain day when I was 12 years old. But I'm saying to you, you're the man of God. You have the word of God. And families need help. You know that, don't you? And you don't, you don't help them by just saying, well, have a good family. Try to behave yourself. No, no. Nothing is dynamic. Nothing is life-changing unless it's specific. You remember that, don't you? 
Nothing is dynamic unless it's specific. Nothing is real till it's personal. So you've got to bring people to the Word of God, get them in the Word of God, let them walk with you in the Word of God, and allow God's Word to speak to them. Some of the greatest people, nicest people, friendliest people in the world are going to lose their children. They're not going to lose their children when they're six years old. If you don't have a sweet, beautiful family and your children are 10 or under, you're, there's something bad wrong with you. You're not going to lose your children then. You're not going to lose your children in the pre-adolescence. You're not going to lose your children in the teen years if, that you've got them in your home because you can force them and you're going to enable them to be somewhere and do certain things. But you're going to lose your children when they become young adults and they're out from under your care and keeping naturally in the home and they're making decisions on their own and they decide that antichrist decisions will be the decisions of their lives. That's why we're working. Look, look, we're working in our churches. We're working in our ministries. We're laboring from the pulpit. We're laboring in the classroom. We're teaching and bringing people along with the Word of God and trying to put this in people's lives because we're in the battle it's, 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 it's a battle for life and death and eternity. And we're trying to see the revival of the home and family. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to do this. So, and by the way, there'll be some skirmishes, not serious, but there has to be communication, lots of things going on. Um, I said to our people in the last message I gave, you have your Bible open there to Colossians chapter 3? And I said to our precious people in the last message I gave, if you sum up this third chapter, then you can build toward receiving the reward of the inheritance. But he says, if ye then be risen with Christ, see your position in Christ. If you're a child of God, when he died, you died with him. When he was buried, you were buried with him. When he rose, you rose with him. So if you then be risen in Christ, seek those things which are above. That's a, that's a decision you make. You reckon yourself to be dead, but you decide you're going to seek those things which are above. And by the way, these are not just for the preacher. The Bible is not just for the preacher. The Word of God is for every child of God. And you know, we've gone through a terrible ordeal. Terrible. And I'm sorry, but I've been a little bit of a part of it. And it's, it's been a mistake. It really has been a mistake. We assigned to a certain entity a responsibility that they never had God assign them. They never had the Lord assign them that responsibility. We, we had the idea, if we get our country straightened out, if we get our country straightened out, if we get... 435 representatives straightened out and 100 senators straightened out and get the Supreme Court straightened out and get the Executive Office of America, the President, Vice President, and his cabinet straightened out. Then we get the country straightened out. Baloney! We couldn't have made a bigger mistake. We just could not have made a bigger mistake. We've got to get back to the local church. The year of the local church. That's what 2021 is to me. The year of the local church. I'm trying to emphasize something. And the way to strengthen the church is to strengthen the families in the church. Tell your senior citizens, you are so important. Tell these couples. My wife and I have been married 54 years. It's more important that she and I behave ourselves like Christians now than it was when we were just kids first married because there's so many people looking to us and saying is it worth it can it be done everybody is involved in this did you know when God decided to create mankind he put us together in families and he established those families with principles and as we obeyed those principles he promised to bless us. Your church is made up of families. 
Try to get every one of them to be a family unit where all of them are saved. If you've got a saved mother, get the father saved. Lead him to Christ. If you've got a saved mother and father, try to get the children saved. That's the pastor's responsibility. But in this third chapter of Colossians, he says in, in verse 2, set your affections on things above. In other words, you choose what you're going to love. You choose. And he says, set your affections on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. I wish you'd write that expression down and meditate on it. You're hid with Christ in God. Where are you? Well, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. But I'm really hid with Christ in God. Where are you? You say, I'm in Bowling Green, Kentucky. But as a child of God, you're hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now, he's already seated in glory, and you're seated with him. How certain can you be of heaven? You're already there with Christ. You're part of his body. And God says in verse 5, Mortify, therefore, your members. That's the last thing we want to do. Put to death your members, which are upon the earth. And he, he names them. He's very plain about it. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections. He goes on, concupiscence, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And I often say what Dr. Sells said to me. He said, I used to use the word compromise. He's a compromiser. He's a compromiser. She's a compromiser. And he said, find that word for me in the Bible. You know, that old man really straightened me out on some things. You can't find that word in the Bible. He says, you're either obedient to Christ or you're disobedient to Christ. There's no middle ground. You're obedient or disobedient. And in that obedience, he taught us something that's true. Obedience is not obeying the Lord. It's delighting in obeying the Lord. Delighting in obeying the Lord. I don't know everything, but I know something here that is so meaningful. I have two grown sons, and for now, they're serving God with me. Uh, they have two, each one of them a beautiful wife. I have six grandchildren. Now, I'm very concerned about my grandchildren. They don't give me any cause for alarm, but I want to see them take up their role as men and women who love God and will take their place serving God in a local church. This is the thing we must do, and we must work at that. This is our, if you're looking at your beautiful 10-year-old daughter or your handsome 12-year-old son who's just first getting a few little whiskers on his, uh, on, his, on his upper lip, whatever, you need to be thinking, how do I help this boy become a man that will serve God in a local assembly to see the importance of it? And when they get their first job, how, how will I have trained them that they tithe their income and become a functioning part of the church? This is our task, and may God help us. But go through this entire chapter. If you want to get the messages, you, you don't have to pay for them. You can download them. If you want to pay for them, uh, we'll charge you nearly nothing, but I, I want you to get them. You could preach the same thing to your people because it's the Bible. And when finally God gets down to, to this verse, I want you to look at it. Verse 18, he gives the wise one, one word. By the way, it's the ugliest word a woman will ever hear. It says, wives, submit. But it can become the most beautiful word. How will you say to a wife, submit? He says to a husband, love there's a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5. He says to the husbands, love. He says to the children, obey. He says to the fathers, provoke not. How do fathers provoke their children? Unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. Hypocrisy. You know, our children are watching us. Uh, 
Ryan does our bulletin every week, and in this particular bulletin, he put something. Uh, he put something last week in the bulletin that I had, had said, quoted something I'd said. He said, uh, "If you if you say you're a Christian, that doesn't let your kids know you're a Christian. Your kids don't know you're a Christian because you say it. They don't tell you're a Christian because you live the church, uh, love come to church. They say you're a Christian." And I'll read exactly what he wrote here. Our children should know we are Christians not because we go to church or not because we carry a Bible or say we're saved, but because of the way we behave in our homes. In our homes. The sweetest, most Christ-like place on the face of God's earth should be our homes. There are many people who are men and women of renown who have no testimony, Christian testimony, at home with their children. And we're all busy. I'm busy. You're busy. We're all busy. But I'm trying to call you back to home and family. It's the revival of the home back to God's principles. It's the revival of the home and family that we need. We're having a, our Faith for the Family Couples Conference this week, February 25th, which is Thursday, 26th, Friday, 27th, Saturday morning in Gatlinburg. We have about 700 people already committed to come. And uh, we normally have more than that, but whatever, it's wonderful. And we've got couples coming from everywhere. You ought to come if you can to Gatlinburg. And you can register online. There's still a few hotel rooms left up there. But we're emphasizing the revival of the home and family. This is where we're going to live or die, men. Do you know, I'd find it hard to live if I preached, and sometimes I preach to large crowds. I remember preaching in a conference, I'll just tell you, a conference, there was at least 3,500 people there. And it was one of those conferences where I determined I'd just stay and let people say what they wanted to, it was all over. And you know, I was there for another hour with people just telling me how much they appreciated what I'd said and enjoyed whatever. My wife was with me in this conference and she waited patiently. And then when everybody was gone and it was time for me to leave, my wife came to my side and my wife said to me, I was really blessed and encouraged by what you said. Now this is after many years of preaching. And I told her this. I said, I've enjoyed all the people coming and it's been a blessing. But it means more to me to hear you say what you said than all these other people combined that you still believe in what I'm trying to say, preach and live. And that God has blessed us in our home this way. Now we don't have a perfect marriage. We're both like bulls sometimes and full of, full of juice. That's the way God put us together. But she knows what a wife's supposed to do and I am trying to learn what a husband's supposed to do. I'm just saying to you, this is what matters most, the revival of the home and family. And I'm trying to get you dig deep, get every resource you can get and uh, get, off of these, get off of these famous things on I'll tell you 10 ways to be a better husband or six ways to be a better... Just get in the Word of God and get the, the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept, into the hearts of people. And it's God's Word that will transform lives. It truly is. It's God's Word. His words are much more powerful than our words. His words are much clearer than our words. His words will last longer than our words. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's Word will not pass away. It'll bring people into line. His Word does a work of reproving and correcting and instructing in righteousness that our words don't do. And so, the revival of home and family. Now, we have some questions, and uh, I want to try to answer some of them. And uh, I, I'm always thinking there's a better way to do what I'm doing here. Just write me a note and send me something. One question says, we have three teenagers. We've raised them in a godly home and yet still have trouble from time to time. We realize what, that will happen. However, 
they're so rude to each other. They do not show each other godly love or service as I think uh, they've been taught. How do we show them, teach them, guide them, discipline, and to think of others instead of themselves? A bad apple spoils a vine, but each one of them is not treating the other one good. Any tips on this? Yes, some of these things will happen. They go through personality changes, not personality changes, but adaptation. They're born, born with a personality, in my conviction, to keep it until the day they die. But it can be spirit-filled. But we reap a harvest from where we place an emphasis. If you know that's where the emphasis needs to be placed and you want to harvest there, place the emphasis. Spend some time alone. Talk to them in the right spirit. Tell them how important peace is. And they can have peace with God, but we don't have the peace of God in our home. This comes from this third chapter of Colossians. Unless you, you live in peace, they're actually to let peace rule, rule in their heart. And that's letting Christ be the ruler. Do you believe Jesus is pleased with that? In other words, just emphasize it. It may take us uh, time, and, but isn't it worth the time and the effort? Question number two, even though I have raised my children in church and have uh, attempted to raise them in a Christian home, I can sense I'm losing them to the culture, media, as they reach their teenage years. I'm tempted to take their phones away. Yes, isn't everybody from them completely. But I don't want to do this, this to backfire. Any suggestions? Yes. Be patient. Be loving. Speak your heart. Speak the truth in love. I still, I talk to the parents about it, uh, about doing it, but I still have long talks with my grandchildren. Long talks. And uh, I, I take them with me for meals where they're alone with me. And, and most of the time my wife is with me. And I tell her before we go, I want to try to have a talk about something. And then I listen to them talk. Um, the ones that aren't married, we've talked, we've, talked, we've talked recently about what kind of girl you marry. And then what kind of girl would you want to be the mother of your children? What kind of human being would you want to bring in your family? One person can disrupt an entire family and wreck things for a lifetime. And uh, everybody thinks they, they should have talked more about that. But when you've got them at home, you've got the opportunity. But you'll have to cut something out of your schedule. Nobody has time. You have to make time. I, I certainly think I don't have time. I keep myself busy. I've lived my entire life by setting goals and working to those goals, setting goals and working to those goals. And so I have to eliminate something, lay it aside. If I'm going to do this. But what matters more to you than your family and your home? What matters more? The Bible says in Proverbs 31 that children rise up and call their mother blessed. I wonder what is behind all of that. Suggestion for Bible study materials for family and children. I've written a lot of things for Bible study. I've got these devotional guides. I'll tell you what we did, and it wasn't any, any, any attribute of mine. When we had kids, my wife said, we're going to read every word in the Bible to our children. God bless us with two sons. My wife had a a certain surgery. We won't have to talk about that. We couldn't have any more kids, but we had two sons. And she said, we're going to read every word of the Bible to them. And I said to her, and I was a young preacher, I said, how are we going to do that? She said, we're going to read it every day before, before we start. And we're going to get up early enough uh, so we have time to do that. So we started Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And, um, and we got everything ready my wife was working at the time, uh, many of those days. Uh, but we got up, got everything ready. We could have walked out the door, every bed made, every dish washed, all of it. We just had to discipline ourselves to get up, to get, get it done. When I wasn't home, Evelyn did this. And we opened the Bible. We sat in a room together and we read the Bible chapter after chapter after chapter. Sometimes more than one chapter is a short chapter. Maybe some days, more than one day on some chapter is a long chapter. Then we prayed. Of course, when they were tiny little tots, they couldn't pray. But we, we read the Bible 
then finally, when they learned to read, they read parts of the Bible together. That was a time we were all alone in the home. And I, Evelyn was the one who made this happen. And, and we all had lots of things to do. The last thing we did was pray together before we left the house. When they got to going to school, we did the same thing. They had to have everything done. No schoolwork was done at that time. No food was eaten during that time. We didn't do any of that. Everything was ready to leave home before we started reading the Bible and praying. And again, I don't take any credit for it. Evelyn did that. She made sure it happened. Then at night, we read a Bible story. I found, a, uh, I found these, um, these uh, Seven Adventist storybooks in the doctor's offices, and I ordered a whole set up. Ordered them for my sister, ordered them for everybody. I ordered, I ordered them from the mayor of our city. I, I'd like to write that kind of thing myself. I'm trying to. But every night, I would read a Bible story to them and kneel and pray beside their bed. My youngest son tells that one night we were so tired when we got down to pray, we, we prayed for the Lord to bless the food we were about to eat, and he thought we were going to devour him. <laughs> turned into cannibals. That was, became a big joke in our family. But that was the night. And then we never stopped the, the morning as long as our boys were in the home. But then when they got to be older teenagers, we didn't read the Bible story with them at night. But we asked them to read their Bible beside their bed. And we always looked for the Bible beside their bed in the light where they could read. We wanted them to read a portion of Scripture before they went to bed. Now, whether they did it or not, I do not know. I think they did because now they're doing the same thing with their children. And I'm happy about that. That's just one thing. That's many things. But if you read the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, you're going to find out God gives opportunities. Uh, I've written a little booklet on um, the golden moments of life. And I don't have a book on that and uh, the golden moments of life. And uh, anyway, I think I do. You know, forget how to baptize and forget what I've written at this stage in life. Well, there's, there's about 50 of those little booklets and about 40 full-length books. But you could ask me for that, and I'll send it to you. And then uh, we aren't able to come to the couples retreat. Will it be live-streamed? Uh, the answer is yes. You see, here I am looking at the people who work with me. I don't know, I don't know anything. I'm about the dumbest person you ever met in your life. I don't know anything. And so I'm, I'm asking the person who does that, Ryan, will it be? And he's nodding yes. And, and these ladies who are helping me broadcasting, they say yes. And, and uh, when I say I'm going to send something, I'm not going to send it. They write it down. I, he promised he'd send something. So it's, it's great that I have. Then I've got this room full of, uh, 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 turn, turn the camera around there a minute, Ryan. Show them, the, show them these guys. All of them over here. So we've got uh, Easton, and you got oh, Easton, and uh, and we got Jaden, good. And we got Tim, and Max, and Tim Cart, and Stephen, and we've got Aaron over here, and we've got Ed Hibbert. Ed is now the new director of our Senior Friends Ministries. That's a lot involved. That's seventy-three senior residence homes and all the things we're doing with senior adults. And then Madison doesn't want to get on the camera, but uh, she works with me and, and Tatiana. Uh, we, we forgot James here sitting at this table. Uh, 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 there's James. And then Ryan, you have to put your ugly mug in there. How do you turn it all the way around and get yourself in? Yeah, good. But I've got a lot of people helping me, and I'm thankful to God for it. These are just in the church. So... I want to be a blessing to you. Uh, I want to pour my life out till it's all gone. And it will be someday. I, I've left it. They say kids playing ball leave it all in the field. I, I want to leave it all in the Lord's service. And then you can find some things that dead man has said or something. But let's get the emphasis where God places it. On the revival of the home and family. Thank you for joining me today. God bless you. I think it's wonderful that you do this. And um, so good. God bless you. Let's pray. James, you lead us in prayer, will you please? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for what we've heard today. Uh, bless each of these Christian workers and pastors. 
And we pray that our families would be those that glorify Thee. And so help us in these things. Bless Pastor Sexton, the upcoming couples retreat. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give this footnote. I would not use my children as examples when they were younger in my home because that just made targets out of them for critics. Uh, one of them told me when he was 14, God had called him to preach. I said, if he has, that'll be in your heart. But I wouldn't let him announce it till he was getting out of high school. Now, that was just my way of doing it. I'm sorry, because I didn't think people would let him be a teenager. They just wouldn't, you know. You call yourself a preacher and you're screaming a ball game and, and gotten a push match with, you see, that was just my way of doing it. But anyway, uh, don't use me for an example. Use Christ as an example. I'm just trying to tell you, we tried a few things and Evelyn helped them more. But anyway, it's been great to be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.